Well, good morning, everybody, and, and welcome to Essex Church and to this, our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. Spiritual writer and poet Mark Nepo tells us that it is, it is love that leads us closer to wholeness. And he goes on in his writing, still when turned inside out by life, wholeness can seem impossible to grasp. And yet every meaningful experience returns us to the fact that there is no there, there's only here. From the confines of our immediate issues that sometimes feel as though they have no way out, we're challenged again and again to realize the mystical fact that the air of the sky is the air in our lungs, that the immense aliveness of the universe is the impulse of joy waiting in our heart, and that the vastness of peace we dream of is quietly waiting like a seed of emptiness in the very pit of whatever darkness we're struggling to free ourselves from. He goes on, when something is whole, it is complete in itself. And though being human, we cannot experience wholeness all the time or be permanently complete, yet ultimately it is through relationship that we approach wholeness again and again and again. And regaining our wholeness through love is what today's service is all about. So I invite you to take this moment and this breath as a time and a space to allow love into your hearts. In a world that feels perhaps a bit turned upside down, in a time when burdens may seem heavy or old ways of being may be holding us back, let's allow the power of love to ease our bodies and bring peace to our minds. May our hearts expand in the beauty of existence and find delight in the complex, interrelated web of existence which holds us all. Our chalice flame is lit and its simple flame reminds us of the oneness of all existence. It's connecting us with progressive religious communities and individuals the world over, some of whom I know will be listening in to a podcast of this service at some future date around the world. In Washington DC and Washington State, in the Carolinas, North and South, friends of this congregation in the Czech Republic, Romania, Hungary, and this service will be listened to by congregation members and friends who cannot be with us in person today. So a special welcome to all of them. In a, in a world where borders are currently being closed and travel becomes so difficult, let us celebrate the connections of love and shared values that transcend all barriers. Let's celebrate the beauty of this planet Earth home and the beauty of our human relatedness. The power of love is very strong. And um, because things were so uh, challenging, we thought that you should have um, 
you know, a story to enliven us today. So, so we've had community singing already, so I'm going to be inviting you to community roaring with this one. If I can have the book, and some of you will know this book, so apologies, you can't see it, the picture's quite as well as you might, but it is where the wild things are, send back. Yes, it's a good one. Well, it was anyway. Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. That night, Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another. His mother called him Wild Thing, and Max said, I'll eat you up. So he was sent to bed without eating anything. An early case of self-isolation. That very night, that very night in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around and an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max. And he sailed off through night and day and in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are. And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws till Max said, be still, and tamed them with the magic trick of staring into all their yellow eyes without blinking once. And they were frightened and called him the most wild thing of all, and made him king of all the wild things. And now, cried Max, let the wild rumpus start. It says here in brackets, I'll encourage roaring. Oh, I'll encourage roaring. <laughs> Personally, I never read stage directions. But then you may have seen my work. Now stop, Max said and sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. <laughs> and Max, the king of all the wild things, was lonely and wanted to be where someone loved him best of all. Then all around, from far across the world, he smelled good things to eat. So he gave up being king of where the wild things are. But the wild things cried, oh, please don't go. Oh, we'll eat you up. We love you so. And Max said, no. The wild, sing, the wild things roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. But Max stepped into his private, private boat and waved goodbye and sailed back over a year and in and out of weeks, and through a day, and into the night of his very own room, where he found his supper waiting for him. And it was still hot. <laughs> And let's um, take the joy of that story into 
a time of reflection and prayer for times of uncertainty. Let's prepare ourselves in, in whatever way we do to turn inwards and, and to connect ourselves. To connect ourselves with our higher self which both supports and challenges us in living our lives, encouraging us to be the best that we can be. In a world so fragmented, we might focus on this fragmentation, be it in ourselves or in others. And may the yearning for wholeness and working for the common good touch all hearts this day. Let us pray that some spark of common humanity will shine this day in all troubled places and allow people to step beyond their differences and find common ground on which to stand. May each of us find ways to live in good spirits through times of uncertainty. Let's pray for all those in the medical professions the world over working tirelessly to help others in times of need. Let's pray for the leaders of our world that they might guide the nations with wisdom and with the greater good of our entire planet as their focus rather than any petty nationalism. May they focus on connection rather than separation. And we who must live through challenging times, may we find the inner strength to do what must be done to support one another and to set our sights high, not just on survival, but on improvement of the lot of all beings. And in a moment of shared stillness now, I invite you to focus your thoughts, your prayers on those who are suffering in any way this day. And may our world be a little brighter and a little more loving and more connected because we are part of it this day and all days. Amen. I've got a great reading for you now and... Um, yeah, I, I've printed some copies out of this in case you want to take it home with you afterwards because it really spoke to my condition when I received it. Um, so this is just an extract and we could email you the whole piece if you want. It comes from the Sufi teacher, Pierre Elias Amidon. And um, yes, he's a man with a big heart and a world awareness. And he's called this piece World Worry. And I felt that touched just about everything, really. So, Elias Amidon writes, A disturbing litany of disasters confronts us these days. Our planet and human civilization 
they're encountering conditions in which the Earth's capacity for nourishing life is endangered at a magnitude unknown in human history. And all of this is stirring in us world worry, a sense of foreboding that is draining the vibrancy of human culture, as well as our physical, psychological and spiritual health. We see a menacing cloud over the future. We feel helpless to do anything about it. Now, world worry is not something we can avoid. So how can we be with this? What is our responsibility in these fateful times? What is asked of us? And then there's this troubling question. Can we be awake to the enormous disruption that's happening now? Can we be awake to it and still live happy, beautiful and fulfilled lives? Now there are no easy answers to these questions. But here are a few of my own thoughts, he writes, in response, culled down to three basic principles, offered not as definitive answers, but more as a starting point for your own contemplation. The first is, keep an undefended heart. In my own life, Elias writes, I try to accept my world worry, not as a looming horror that makes me want to shut down, but as a necessary angel that keeps my heart open. Because I know if I close my heart to the world's sufferings, my own life and the greater life of which I'm part, it'll be diminished. Even though I'm in no position to do anything about the world's sufferings, that very helplessness becomes part of theirs and somehow we share it as a mutual presence. His second principle, find what matters. When we experience our world worry, not through the lens of fear, but through our undefended heart, something very intimate changes in us. Worry and despair open into compassion. And our undefended heart reveals to us that we are the world, undivided from it. Then we can do our best to be faithful to what matters. As the novelist Barbara Kingsolver once remarked, in a world as wrong as this one, all we can do is to make things as right as we can. Making things right in however small a way asks that we discover in each life situation we encounter, we discover what really matters. And his final principle is doing the beautiful, which he says happens naturally when we have a heart devoted to being undefended and truly finding what matters. Let the beauty you love be what you do, Rumi famously told us, an advice we surely can't remember too often. In the context of transforming our world worry, our concern for the perilous condition of the planet and our civilization into a path of healing, can there be a more succinct instruction than let the beauty you love be what you do? I believe we must still, the imperative is that we must still live happy, beautiful and fulfilled lives. 
Let's not have any illusions about the suffering and loss we are witnessing today or the magnitude of the threats facing our community of life. But if a world abundant with life is to be seeded by us, it will not grow from anxiety or despair. It will only thrive in the fertile soil of our undefended hearts, finding and doing what is beautiful. And that's from World Worry by Elias Amidon. A really short reading now from Susan Jeffers' book, Dare to Connect. And if you've not met her writings, uh, quite a lot of them are now available online. And I, yeah, I think she explains things well. So this is what she says in her book, Dare to Connect. If we are taught we must be generous, we disown the part of us that is greedy. If we are taught that we can't be angry, we stifle the rage that is building within. If we are taught we must be strong, we hide our tears. If we are taught we must be physically attractive, we hide the flaws, and so on. We begin to think consciously and unconsciously that no one could love us as we truly are. So we begin to believe our act is our true identity and we lose all sense of who we really are. What is left, Susan wrote, is a frightened robot who has long ago forgotten the answer to the question, well, who am I? If we don't know who we are, how can we possibly find meaningful connection with someone else? The short answer, she says, is that it's hard. Before we can ever find a true connection with others, we have to know ourselves. In fact, we need to have a meaningful connection to our true selves. And to do so, we must dig deeper to uncover the real person that we've pushed down and away. We accept that the anger, greed, fear, and every other emotion that lives within us as part of being human. With acceptance of all who we are, we can then safely allow our masks to drop and tell the truth without fear of disapproval. And if someone disapproves, well, it doesn't matter. At this point, we will have finally found approval from the person we've been unsuccessfully trying to impress all those years. Not a parent or teacher, not the kids in the neighborhood, but ourselves.
Well, let's take the soothing nature of that message from Handel and Margaret and Peter um, into our time of meditation. I invite you to just settle yourselves, whatever works best for you. Um, there'll be a short spoken meditation and that will lead into a couple of minutes of, of shared stillness together. Perhaps enjoy the feeling of resting on your chair, imagining the earth beneath our feet, letting our shoulders drop and relax, maybe relaxing the muscles in our faces, those masks that we hold so often in our daily lives. Just let it all go, allowing your rhythm of your breathing to just help you relax. Letting go. And as we sit in stillness together, I invite you to, to find some, some talisman, some word, some image, some principle or value that helps you to live in times of complexity, uncertainty. Some people love to think of themselves just resting beneath an old oak tree or sitting watching the gentle waves coming and going on a shore, maybe lying in a sweet green meadow, or sitting in your favourite chair at home looking out of a favourite window with your favorite mug, enjoying your favorite drink. Find an image that helps you to live peaceably in times of uncertainty and complexity. And let's enjoy being with those thoughts, those images, for these few moments of silence. And it will come to an end with a chime from our bell. Okay, this address explores the idea that there are within us many selves. And if that idea interests you, bookshops and the internet are full of intriguing works on this subject to help us all explore further. Um, I 
think many of us have experienced a sense of longing at times for, for greater freedom of self-expression, for adventure and renewal in life. And I think many of us will have had moments where we behaved in unexpected ways or when we've had thoughts or feelings that surprised or even frightened us. These are all signs that there is more to us than meets the eye. As we grow up, certain aspects of ourselves are encouraged to develop and some aspects are ignored or reacted to in a negative way by our families, our friends, our educational establishments and by society itself. And so we can start to become a bit squeezed, can't we? Limited, fragmented, maybe. We grow into people who might say, oh, well, I've never cried, or um, I've never got angry at anyone, or, you know, those are classic examples, I think, of behaviours that were certainly repressed in, in people of my age's childhoods. Um, or we may find ourselves wearing very tight suits of identity. Um, oh yes, I'm the helpful one in this family. I'm, I'm, I'm the clever one. I'm the one who gets things done. All marvellous qualities, but not if you have to wear them 24-7. How then can we cope when we're the helpless one or when we don't have a clue what to do? And the suits of identity forged for us and by, by us in childhood, well, they can be so very limiting, can't they? How often I've heard people, and I bet you've heard this, Margaret, people tell the story of the teacher in junior school who told them that they didn't have a singing voice, heaven help us, or, or a thoughtless parent who labels a child as timid or not very sporty or difficult. And that label sticks and is actually lived into then throughout a life. The psychological concept of us having plural selves within us is potentially then very liberating. Now you may find various terms to describe this, subpersonalities, aspects, energies, archetypes, characters. It helps to explain how come we can feel and behave quite differently with different people or in different situations. It helps to explain why we sometimes feel we're being pulled or are pulling in contradictory directions. Now, I have had some entertaining conversations this week about this. And for those of you listening to a podcast at this moment, a toilet roll is now being waved. We are experiencing a national toilet roll shortage here in England, and the shortage seems to be connected with the spread of the coronavirus. Fear makes us behave in certain self-preservatory ways, doesn't it? And some people are clearly gaining considerable comfort in these uncertain times through knowing that they have six months' supply of toilet paper stashed away in a cupboard somewhere. Now. If we want to understand ourselves better, I recommend taking some time to get to know some hidden aspect of yourself. Give that part of you a name. Describe who they are, how they look, how they talk, what their message is, and how they relate with other parts of you. Now, I'm not going to reveal too many details of my own inner toilet ho roll hoarder, because he's not pleasant. But if you are very old and British, you may remember Private Walker, 
a character in the Second World War um, comedy, Dad's Army. He's a black market salesman who could lay his hands on absolutely anything and always came out on top, whatever occurred in life. You see, I am actually ruthless in ensuring that I have what is needed in life. And I'm not telling you how many toilet rolls I've got stashed away. It's got mine written on it. So just have a think about the most selfish, most self-centered aspect of yourself. How might you characterize that part of you? And what is your most selfless aspect of self-like? Now, I mention this particular duality because they are likely to be quite activated at present, aren't they, as our world struggles to deal with a global pandemic. Our foundations, our security, they're threatened, and we humans are designed to survive if we possibly can. Now, it can be really helpful and energizing to have one subpersonality talking to another because if they can work together rather than pulling apart, we may gain great insights into ourselves. And there are so many creative ways to get to know these hidden aspects of us. Writing poetry or prose, studying our dreams, acting out a certain character is great fun if you're up for it. I once spent a whole day on a workshop um, making dolls to represent different um, parts of me. Here are a couple of my mini-me's. Uh, they're made out of those old clothes pegs and I've got a little supply if anybody wants to be doing this in the long days and weeks ahead when craft activities may seem very, very appealing all of a sudden. Now, you would be shocked to know what this particular mini-me is like. Not pleasant at all. Oh, oh, well, maybe I've not hidden her as well as I think I have. You may know her well. Because problems can emerge for us if one aspect of us dislikes another or refuses to acknowledge that they even exist. Some, some common conflicts, you know, just examples of, of the conflicts that people can experience within themselves. Take maybe the, the longing for freedom and independence, and, and then the longing for intimacy that Jane Blackall was exploring in last week's service, for connection. Independence and connection don't always go together that easily. Or what about the longing for security versus the yearning for adventure? These are all in us. The more we can reclaim our disowned or suppressed inner characters, the more energy there is for us to enjoy through being whole rather than fragmented. And we'll also spend a bit less time projecting our hidden aspects onto others. If ever we find ourselves judging another person harshly or un being unable to comprehend, how can they possibly believe what they believe? Or, or how can they possibly behave how they're behaving right now? Then there's work for us to do, reclaiming our projections and bringing greater awareness to hidden aspects of ourselves. Every time we find ourselves triggered by another person, when we have an, an emotional reaction to them, let's take the time and do the work. Ask the question, what is there here for me to learn about myself? What of me is in them? What is it that I am actually uncomfortable with? 
Now, this is actually the inner work that Maurice Sendak was exploring in his children's story, Where the Wild Things Are, that Anthony read so expressively for us earlier on. We need to find our inner roar, our beasts, our bullies, our fascist tendencies, our inept leaders, our fearful hoarders, our wild things and our nasty things, our funny parts and our timid parts, our Walt Whitman that can pronounce, do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I contain multitudes. Only when we have examined and understood our multitudes can we hope to develop fully our max, the child that shouts, stop, and the wild things stop. You may find this described as the conductor of our orchestra or the captain of our ship or, or our higher self or inner witness, the one who knows us in all our glory and our awfulness, the one who knows every aspect of us, their gifts and their limitations and regards them with benign acknowledgement that, hmm, this too is me. Our world community is heading into new and uncharted waters as we deal with the effects of the coronavirus. We have really serious challenges facing us and possibly remarkable opportunities to discover new ways of being, individually and collectively. What gifts might there be for humanity as we realize that business as usual is not written in stone? But truly to learn from a scarily unknown situation, we need to stay awake to our many selves and find ways to listen to them all. And we also need to understand that those characters are also to be found in others. We are all in this process called life. And it's a process in which we can aspire towards wholeness. Aspire towards wholeness through love. Amen. And so may, may all our hours be blessed as this time has been, by open-heartedness, by sharing and learning from one another, and by making beautiful harmonies together. And may we greet everyone we encounter with the same acceptance and grateful kinship until we meet again. Amen. Go well and blessed be.